In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Almighty God, we come together on this night to give ourselves over to your will, to open ourselves up to the Holy Spirit, to ask that you would inspire us with the example of the patron of the Universal Church, the Holy Father, St. Joseph, foster father of Jesus, and spiritual father and head of every earthly family and spiritual family. We pray tonight that through the intercession of St. Joseph, we may come to see our own weaknesses, and yet in those weaknesses, how we too have been chosen by God for a great mission, and that St. Joseph would go before us and inspire us to continue on our mission. We ask all this through the intercession of Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Please be seated. Thank you all for, for coming out tonight, and, and probably a, a lot of you over the last two nights as well. It's one of the great things about a, a parish mission that uh, you kind of keep coming back. So some of you have been here all three nights, and, and some of you uh, are, are here uh, just for tonight. So welcome, especially those who might be joining us here at St. Patrick's for the first time. I'm happy to have everyone here. It's nice that we're coming to the perhaps end of the, the COVID uh the COVID year, more than year, I don't know, but people are starting to come out, so so good for you. Um, you'll be happy to know your your priests have been doubly vaccinated, so we are we are happy to, I suppose, not share germs with you or, or things, but at least it's a sign of things getting back to normal that our our spiritual fathers are putting on their vaccination armor, and we'll see tonight that Saint Joseph especially called by God to, to take on an incredible mission, one that, uh, of course, he did not uh, foresee, uh, and yet, nonetheless, uh, he followed. Now, it's often said in the Holy Family, of course, that, um, well, you've got Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. That, that means, well, one is God, so he's pretty good. And then, of course, Mary, she's conceived without original sin. It also... She never sinned. So if there was a problem in the Holy Family, there's Joseph. I mean, how do you like to be Joseph? You know, at least you know, like, normally if a husband and wife need to work on their relationship, I mean, Mary and Jesus could really look at him and say, not us, it must be you. And, and so I, I, I entitled tonight's uh, talk, we've been going, of course, on fatherhood, uh, Father Michael, I talked on, on Monday night, um, Fatherhood, the Spiritual Leader, and uh, last night Father Mark talked with us about fatherhood more than a paycheck, and tonight I'd like to focus on fatherhood less than perfect. Now, St. Joseph we don't know a whole lot about, and I'm going to say he's less than perfect because just theologically that's what you have to say. He was not conceived without original sin, so St. Joseph sinned, but we don't really have any major recordings of that, so it's not like I can focus a whole lot on his sin. Nonetheless, I'd like to take not only St. Joseph tonight, but also St. Peter, who was, was called to be also father of God's family, in this case, father of the spiritual family of the church that Jesus would leave behind. So I'd like to contrast a little bit maybe St. Joseph and the little we know of him with St. Peter, 
Uh, and as an example of not just frailty and, and weakness in, in fatherhood, but really are all of us. Some of the, the people asked this morning at Mass, now, Father Sean, this is a woman asking me, is, is it going to be okay? Is this going to be just for men? Is it just about fatherhood? No. So anybody watching online, don't quit. You're already here. Uh, if you're a mother, a wife, a single woman, this is for you. Uh, because I'm going to tie in tonight not so much about St. Joseph, but a little bit more about St. Peter and earthly fatherhood. Now, St. Joseph, of course, gives us one example of someone who is completely docile to God's will. And I say that because we don't know a whole lot about St. Joseph, but we do see that it seems anyway that when, when God called him, he went. We don't have any parts where St. Joseph, you know, protests. You know, the angel came to Joseph in a dream and he got up and stormed off in a fit and, you know, kicked the ground and, you know, yelled at the dog. It's just, no, it's the angel came to Joseph in a dream and he did it. And that's, that's just it. So that's, that's one example, but it's maybe an example that a lot of us can't relate to. Uh, God says, do this, and we just do. So St. Joseph might have been less than perfect, but he was probably darn near perfect. Um, but what do we do when our fathers are less than perfect. You know, the, the scriptures have that famous passage where the, the Pharisees come uh, to Jesus, and of course they are the fathers of the, the children of Israel. They are the, the head teachers, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, and they like to be called father. Well, Jesus has that famous passage where he says, as for you, don't call anyone on earth your father. You have one father in heaven. It's always a little awkward for Father Sean to be you know, Our Protestant brothers and sisters, some of us say, wait, what's with you, Catholic clergy? Jesus says right here, don't call anyone father. Well, he also says, don't call anyone master or teacher. And a lot of people out there getting master's degrees these days and teachers and a doctor just means teacher. So I, what is Jesus doing there? What he's saying is, a very important spiritual kind of principle that all fatherhood, all perfection in fatherhood, everything we desire fatherhood to be, everything we could possibly want in a father, there is only one person who can completely fulfill that, and that is our Father in heaven. That is God. That's it. So in relation to that, our earthly fathers, be they spiritual fathers like priests or fathers of families, in comparison to the fatherhood of God in heaven, don't, don't even call anyone on earth father. It's kind of like, you know, you're watching a, a basketball game that's just so bad. Okay, you the other night. You could say, boy, that's, that hardly deserved to be called a basketball game. Is that even basketball they're playing out there? Well, of course it is. And compared to me, they're playing at a pretty high level. But, you know, it's to get a point across. To say, yeah, that's so bad. It's so not even comparable to good basketball that like can you even call it basketball that's what jesus is kind of saying about call no one father as good as our earthly fathers might do it as good as saint joseph might have done it pales in comparison to the one father who is perfect so with that having been said what do we do with our imperfect earthly fathers and spiritual fathers and one thing that um I've come to know a lot as a, a priest, actually, is, well, there's a lot of brokenness out there. Our families are 
a mess. And a lot of times, you know, people come to, to church and they're like, oh, I wish, I wish my family was like that other family. They're so good and holy. Look at them over there with their kids all nicely behaved. Look at that. And we always look at everybody else. Well, as a priest, you get to know everybody and you realize that family you're looking at, they're like looking at you saying like, oh, I wish I was like that family. If only everybody knew. We're all just a mess and, and broken. And so I, I came from a really good family where my, my mom and dad are still, you know, married after 45 years and, you know, everything has, you know, not been rosy, but I, I didn't even have any divorces in my family. My, my, the men in my family stayed married to their wives and stuck with them. And I, I guess I did not realize when I was growing up how that is not normal these days. Most of our kids in the schools today, there's a, at least 50% chance that they're father does not live with them you know what do we do with an entire generation and a lot of us now some of you sitting here could say when we talk about fatherhood you're like I don't want to talk about fatherhood my my father was not good to me like I mean you talking my dad was great he's probably watching good job dad raised not you okay but other fathers you might have you know uh, in mind that when you hear the word father you're like that's trauma Okay, that's my, my father that beat me. That's my father that beat my mom. That's father that walked out on me. That's father that created a lot of hurt when he divorced my mom, when he left his wife, when he was an alcoholic or an addict. And we tend to want to gloss over that. We want to look at like the Holy Family, Jesus, Mary, and Joseph, and say, weren't they great? And well, I don't have anything in common with them. Well, tonight I'm going to look at brokenness, less than perfect. So. We're going to have to leave St. Joseph for a little bit because there's just not much more we could do with him. He was pretty perfect. I'd like to look instead, uh, in a little contrast, at St. Peter. And not just, don't see so much as a, a man and a father, but really could be male, female, any of us, as we look at more the, the Christian soul as, as we attempt to follow God. Now, Peter, we of course will think of as the first pope. And of course, the, the word Pope from Papa means dad, means, means father. Uh, so right away, we, we know that we're, we're talking about fatherhood here. It's, isn't it nice that we call the head of our church the, the dad, father? Pope Francis is literally Father Francis. He's supposed to be the, the head of our family. Well, let's look at our, our first Pope then, Pope Peter. Because this is the one that, you know, Jesus... Jesus chose Mary and Joseph to be his parents, but he, he directly in scripture chose Peter to be the father of his family that he was leaving behind. So what, what kind of man did he choose? Well, let's go back to the, the first time that Jesus encounters St. Peter. And you might keep in mind Joseph here, who just always does what he's told. Jesus encounters Peter and the disciples and they're they're fishing and they come in from fishing and Jesus gets into Peter's boat and teaches and then he tells Peter all right put out into the the deep there we're gonna go fishing and of course Peter unlike St. Joseph is just like okay Peter's like no 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 I'm the fisherman you're the weird preacher guy I, this, this is not time for fishing, okay? I've been fishing all night. We've been out there. You see how we're finishing up? We're done. We're tired. We're going to go to IHOP and just get a good cup of coffee and some pancakes. 
we're done. So right away we see with the first encounter with, with Peter, he's not so docile like perhaps St. Joseph was. Peter's got his own ideas, but he's a little bit open because he's like, all right, we'll go do it. And of course, that's when at the direction of Jesus, they eventually catch all those fish and they bring them in so that the boats and James and John are there and they have to come help them because there's too many fish. All night they caught nothing. They do what Jesus says and they catch so many fish they, they can't pull it all in. Now, now Peter, instead of telling uh, Jesus what to do, now he's telling Jesus what to do again, but this time it's like, okay, Lord, I was bad, you know, I, I didn't listen, so here's what you need to do now. You need to leave me, because I'm a, I'm a sinful man. Notice Peter is still wanting to be in control. He's mindful of how fallen and broken he is. He's like, oh my gosh, I didn't listen to God, and look how well it went, and his next thought is not like, I think I should do what God wants. His next thought is, you gotta leave. Jesus, you, you get out of here. And so, right away we see, Peter likes to do things his way. Even if it's it's not all bad. I mean, he's recognizing now he's a sinful man. And how many times do we do that, where we recognize, I'm, I'm sinful, I'm unworthy. Hey, maybe we start to think, I'm no good. I can't do this, how could, how could I be a great saint? Me be a saint? Maybe in the light of coming face to face with Jesus, we have that kind of, I'm just not good enough. Let's learn from St. Peter and not make the mistake he did. In face with our imperfection, in face with our weakness, the answer is not to tell God, go away. Because God doesn't want to go away. I think that's, that's how we see it sometimes, isn't it? Oh, I sinned. I'm fallen. I'm, I'm broken. Therefore, God must look on me like a broken earthly father. And maybe this is your own experience from your father, that if you messed up, by golly, you knew your dad was mad. Or your mom. If you displeased your mom, you're going to know, and your parents are going to make you know how unworthy you are. You're going to know that you're not good enough. Many of our kids grow up with exactly that kind of understanding. But that's not how our Heavenly Father sees us. He is not the, the dysfunctional parent who in their earthly sense has their own baggage. Every parent that is, you know, being so forceful with their children is doing it because, well, they're broken and their parents probably handed on this and it just perpetuates. God, our Heavenly Father is not like that. He doesn't look on us in our imperfection and, and see you know, something that is to be despised. Rather, he draws closer in our weakness. That's, that's an amazing fact that I think that is one of the biggest turning points in anyone's spiritual journey towards God. When you start to see that my sin, my weakness, my brokenness, my imperfection actually attracts the love of God. We, we look at the, the cross and we think, I did that to Jesus. And it's true. That is the price of our sin. But more than that, that's how much Jesus loved us. That's what he was willing to undergo because of our sin. You don't do that for someone you hate. You don't look at sin and say, I hate that. Not have anything to do with that. Jesus loved us so much that he gave his life because we were imperfect and could not do it on our own. 
So that's the first lesson we get from St. Peter. Don't tell God to go away because you're sinful and broken and weak. Rather, invite God to come closer because he wants to. And the only obstacle is you. Secondly, though, with St. Peter, so he likes to do things his way. There's so many stories about him we could point to, but as we draw close to Holy Week here, I'd like to, to look now towards the sort of the end of Jesus' life. And of course, the most important moment probably in Peter's life was, was when he gets named Peter. Remember, his name is Simon, and his brother is Andrew. But Jesus takes him way up north. If you've not been to the Holy Land, Lots of stuff happens around the middle of the country, around Jerusalem. But way up north is Caesarea Philippi. It's, it's a hike. It's way up there, if you know, in the, in the Golan Heights kind of area. And up there, Jesus took them there for a very important reason. There is a big, massive rock. I mean, kind of think like, you know, Ayers Rock in Australia. Big, huge rock that sits literally on top of a pagan shrine to the god of shepherds that covers a hole in the earth that they colloquially refer to as the gates of hell. Jesus goes there and he says to Simon, you know, well, he says to all the apostles, you know, who do you say that I am? And it's Peter who famously says, you know, you are the Christ, the son of God. Notice that Peter's got you know, some, some gusto there. Everyone else is like, uh, I don't know. Um, you know, some people say Elijah. Other people say John the Baptist, one of the prophets. Everyone else is kind of squishy about it. Like, eh, you know, we've been with you three years, but we don't know who you are. Okay? No, Peter's got some guts. And he steps right up and says, no, I know who you are. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And he's right. Good for Peter. I mean, he's got courage and confidence. How many times are you like the kid in the class that, you know, the teacher asks the question and there's like the smart kid? Okay, that was me, actually. You know, I was the kid everyone loved to, to hate because I'm like, ooh, I know, I know. You know, and half the rest of the class knows too. Just like they hear the smart kid answer, like, I knew that. I was going to say it. I just, you know, I just didn't raise my hand. Well, yeah, it takes some guts sometimes to raise your hand and say it. And that's what Peter does. And because of that, notice Jesus takes... That, that effort, that courage, and he says, all right, I'm making you the rock. No longer will you be called Simon, you'll be called Peter. In, in Greek, that's Petros. In Hebrew, that would be Hepha, or Cephas, as it sums into the Greek. It means rock. He literally said this to Peter in front of a big, huge rock. He says, you are rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. As he's standing, there, there's a hole in the ground that they used to toss animals into and they couldn't see the bottom of it right there. And so they called it like the, the gates of hell, literally. So Jesus uses a nice natural example there, but he's trying to tell Peter, you're gonna be the father of my new family, the church, and you are to be a rock. Well, that's a, that's a great kind of thing to aspire to. But how well does Peter actually do? Well, Fast forward, uh, just after that, Jesus tells the rock, the head of the family, and the whole family, okay, here's what we're doing next. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I want to tell you all what's going to happen so you don't panic. 
I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to get tortured. They're going to kill me. But don't worry, I'll, I'll rise from the dead. Peter immediately, ah, uh -uh, no, Lord. Not happening. Not on my watch. No, absolutely not. Okay, first move out of the rock. Good job. First thing Jesus has to do is says, um, yeah, about that rock thing. Um, I got another name for you. Get behind me, Satan. You're speaking not as God thinks, but as men think. I mean, just talk about imperfect. It's like the first papal proclamation. Habemus Papa, you are Pope Peter. Do you have any words? I don't know. I'll just listen for a second. Okay, we're going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die in... No, no, no. Time out, Jesus. No, Pope Peter is inserting himself. You are not going to do that. We will, we will fight to prevent that. That's what we'll do. Yeah, we will fight the Roman army and not allow it. Oh, Peter, Peter, Peter. So, good job for effort. You know, this is what I like about Peter. Keep this in mind. He, he's, he's not the parked car that God can't work with. He's a moving car that God can hopefully steer. As we'll see, he will. So, fast forward then to the night before Jesus dies. And we're at that, that beautiful Last Supper, which we're going to see on Holy Thursday coming up next week. And while they're at supper, of course, Jesus gets up in the middle and he begins to wash the apostles' feet. A beautiful gesture of service, showing them, okay, I've, I've just ordained all 12 of you to, to be my first priests, as he takes the Eucharist and says, do this, literally in the Hebrew, offer this sacrifice as a memorial sacrifice. He just ordains them all priests, and then he shows them what it means to be a priest in his new covenant priesthood. You're going to be a servant, and so he tries to show them, by example, I'm going to wash your feet. And he comes to Peter. No, no, Lord, absolutely not. See, I got this all figured out. You are God, and I am not. I've, I've learned my lesson, so you are not going to wash my feet. This is below you, so just... Never. You will never wash my feet. I love it. It's so forceful in scripture. You will never wash my feet. Oh, Peter. So Jesus has to say to Peter, Well, Peter, if I don't wash you, then you will have no place in my kingdom. All right, well, then my head, my hands, my everything, my feet, just, just take all of it, Lord. Just do me all of it. Just, okay, settle, settle, Peter. Just your feet will be fine. Just, just the feet, okay? So we see that the, the Peter is still Peter. I mean, he, he's imperfect to the, the max, but Jesus saw all this and he chose him because he knows that this impetuousness, this kind of fieriness, he can work with that. Peter just needs to be redirected every now and then. But to his credit, he gets redirected pretty easy. Okay, wash, wash me all over then. You will never wash my feet. Yeah but then you won't be with me and have, okay, wash all of it, just do all of it. Would that, I mean, that, that's kind of docile. He's just, he's not quite St. Joseph that would be quiet first and think. Peter tends to speak and act first and, and then need to be redirected. And we, we do that too. I don't, I, I do that too. So I, that's maybe why I like, I like Peter. I like the energy. And so later, Jesus is telling them, that uh, he's going to have to go suffer, die, you know. And, and Peter's like, no, no Lord, <laughs> not going to happen. Um, 
Peter, do you remember where he calls you Satan earlier when you did? No, doesn't remember that. She's like, Lord, I will never allow you to suffer. I will never deny you. Whoever this, this traitor is that you're talking about, not me. No way. I will never deny you. Peter, before the cock crows three times, you're going to deny three times that you even know me. Notice that Jesus knows this, and he chooses Peter anyway. And let's not forget, he's talking about the traitor. He, he knew Judas, too, and he chose him. So it can't be that Jesus chooses people who are perfect or, or that will become perfect. He, he tends to want to choose the imperfect, a bunch of fishermen, tax collector people. He can work with that. And so, to his credit, this time Peter shuts up <laughs> because Jesus says what's going to happen, and he just lets it go at that. And so later that night, of course, Jesus is arrested. All of his apostles flee. I mean, okay, we talk about Peter's the first pope. These are the first bishops. So Jesus carefully picks the first 12 bishops of his church. You think we got troubles with bishops in the hierarchy today? Okay, one of the first 12 bishops betrays the Lord and denies that he even knows him and commits the worst sin that any priest bishop has ever committed. He denies that he even knows Jesus. And he hands him over. That's pretty bad. So Judas is one of the first 12. How do the other ones do? Um, they all run away. Even John, the beloved, runs away. All of them, all 12. So talk about imperfect. I mean, this is the, this is the end of Jesus' life. He's created the church, the thing that is supposed to survive him, be his presence in the world forever. He's handpicked the 12 people that he wants to run it. And one of them betrays him. The others all run away. And now we're left with Peter, who comes to the place where he's being held. And he's sitting by a little charcoal fire, warming himself. And the little servant girl says to him, Hey, I recognize you. You're one of his apostles. You're a follower of his, aren't you? No, 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 not me. You've, you've got the wrong guy. Somebody else. No, I recognize you. You were with him. No, I, I don't even know him. Absolutely not. Not me. No, no. And finally, a third time. You were definitely with him. I can tell by your accent. You're from Galilee. You're from him, aren't you? And then it says that Peter actually swears an oath. I swear to God, I don't know him. And the cock crows. Lowest moment in Peter's life. He was just named the rock. He's, he's refused to allow Jesus to suffer. He was going to refuse to allow Jesus to wash his feet. And now he denies three times that he even knows Jesus. This is a terrible start for the rock. Talk about imperfect. I mean, if you're Jesus and you're going to pick the head of your church, why would you pick this guy? Wouldn't you want to pick someone who is going to be rock solid, like a rock? This doesn't seem very rock-like. If you go to Jerusalem today, there's the church of St. Peter. And now most people, when they think of, you know, what is St. Peter's church, well, they would naturally, of course, think of St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. If it is a, you think of a church dedicated to St. Peter, well, that's it. The biggest church in the world, the place where everybody wants to go, the Pope lives right next door, St. Peter's Basilica. 
It's literally built on top of Peter's grave. Underneath the high altar, I've been down there. You can see it. They've got the bones of St. Peter that they found literally right under the high altar, several stories below. That's Peter's church. But if you go to Jerusalem, Peter has his church. But this church is not like the one in Rome. This church is called St. Peter in Gallicantu. Gallicantu in Latin means St. Peter at the cock crow. And this church to St. Peter is built right on the top of the house of Caiaphas. And out in the courtyard, there's a statue of Peter with a woman and a big rooster on top of a pillar. In fact, on top of the church, the big dome on top of the church, it's got a nice, nice dome on top of the church. And on top of the dome is not a cross, but a rooster. I mean, if I'm Peter, I'm like, man, this is my church. I mean, the other guys, I mean, they get cool churches. I got a church that's got a rooster on top. I mean, this is not good. This is the worst moment of my life. And you build a church to memorialize it? Come on. I'd be upset. But it's one of the most powerful churches because down in the I mean, it's beautiful mosaics up, up in the top and it's, it's all devoted to repentance so you've got you know one altar over here is to Mary Magdalene the repentant sinner and over here is Saint Dismas the repentant thief the one who repents and steals heaven it's a beautiful church of repentance but down in the the basement is my favorite because there are there are three icons down there so if you picture like the sanctuary there's, there's an icon over here, there's a big icon in the middle, and then there's another icon over on the right side. And so if, if you picture it, over on this left side is this scene with this servant girl in the courtyard. So it's, it's got Peter and this girl and a charcoal fire and Jesus and a rooster. And it's got Peter pointing to Jesus with his hand kind of out like this and it says underneath non novo ilum I don't know him that's, a, that's an interesting icon we don't normally see things like that in our churches don't, I mean, don't we, we, we normally put we put saints looking all perfect you know after they've converted we, we show them the way they would be in heaven this literally has a picture of Peter saying, I don't know him. That's about as imperfect as you get. But what do we do with imperfection? Well, one thing we learned, you don't tell God to go away. But what about repentance? Contrition, that word contrition, we, we use it even when we go to confession. We make the act of contrition. It, it means sorrow for sin. It's not just, yeah, I kind of messed up. That was unfortunate. No, contrition is what Peter does next. Because in the middle of his church, the big icon in the middle, like not quite as big as our crucifix here, but almost that big, the big icon in the middle is Peter crying. He's just got his head down. He's crying. And the, the inscription next to it says, and he went out and wept bitterly. That's why I love that church. Because there's the rock, completely broken, beyond imperfect. 
doesn't even feel like he should be alive. Thinks his life is over, knows Jesus' life is about over, and his last act before Jesus dies is that he denies that he even knows him. And he goes out and weeps bitterly. What a great gift that is. Judas did not do that. Judas did not go out and weep bitterly with sorrow. He despaired and killed himself. Something different happens with Peter. You know, if you think to that denial, what what Peter said is not true. Not just that he doesn't know him, but of course he knows him. He spent three years with him, and not only does he know him, he loves him. This is the person that he, he did just say a few hours, I will die for you. And here's the thing, he meant it. He meant it. This is Peter at his best saying, I will die for you, Lord. I will never deny you. I would rather die. And it's true. Peter would have rather died than deny Jesus. And yet in his imperfection, his human weakness, even Peter does the thing he could never imagine himself doing. Don't we all do that? I mean, that's really what sin is. It's to to speak the lie, to say, I want this thing, whatever it is, more than I want God. I don't trust God, so I, I need to grasp and take for myself what I want. It's as if we say, I don't, I don't know him. I don't know this God. I don't know that I can trust him. I don't know that he loves me. I don't know how he really looks at me. I'm in charge. I don't know him. And then Peter realizes what he's done. And rather than despair, he weeps tears of contrition. In the church, we would refer to this as perfect contrition. Peter weeps for the right reason. He weeps because he knows he has denied the person he loves the most in the whole world. And he weeps. But here's the the end of the story. Third icon over here on, on the right. It's now after the resurrection. They're back fishing up on the Sea of Galilee. It's early in the morning, and a stranger is walking on the shore. Children, have you caught anything? They're like, uh, no. We've been fishing all night, and we haven't caught anything. Does that sound familiar? And they're like, well, cast the net on the right, you'll, you'll find something. Huh. Okay. Cast the net. 153 fish. Same thing has happened at the beginning. It's like Jesus is repeating this chance for a call of, of Peter. And John, to his credit, finally realizes what's going on. He says, it's the Lord. And this is where I love Peter, because this time... Remember the first time they had to catch a fish and everything, and he's like, this is the Lord. Get away from me, Lord. Depart from me. I'm a sinful man. This time, John says, it's the Lord. 
and Peter, half naked, just jumps out of the boat and swims ashore, however that would have looked like. And it can't have been very good because it says by the time Peter got there, the other guys came in the boat. So I'm thinking, you know, John's sitting there. Hey, it's the Lord. Peter, come on, man. There he goes. Take the boat. You know, like John's like, hey, Peter. See ya. And, you know, John's like putting the boat away and like Peter's finally like flopping on the shore. You know, but that's Peter. He's, he's still got all this energy. He's, this time he's like, if it's the Lord, I'm going to be there. Going to be there. That's, that's the icon that's over there. It's around as they get out. Peter sees on the shore that Jesus hath made a charcoal fire. Isn't that nice? You know what? There's only two times in scripture where a charcoal fire is mentioned. One of them was back in the courtyard of Caiaphas, where Peter famously said three times, No, noble Elam, I don't know him. And so imagine Peter's all wet. He finally swims ashore like an idiot. Gets out. He's like, hey, oh, a charcoal fire. Oh, nice of you to make that, Jesus. Kind of brings back bad memories. It's like, have a seat. We're going to have a little talk. Now, keep in mind, at this point, Peter is excited to see Jesus. But you got to remember the last time Peter saw Jesus, I don't know him. I swear to God, I don't know him. That was the last time they're together. So yeah, Peter's excited. Jesus is risen from the dead. Hallelujah. Praise God. Yay. Oh, charcoal fire. Yeah. About that. You know, okay, Jesus is risen and that's great, but I wonder what he thinks about me. What does he think about the rock now? This goes back to our image of God. What does God think about us after we have sinned and messed it up? Well, famously, Jesus asks Peter three times, Simon, son of John, notice he doesn't even use his Peter name. You know, he's like, oh, I guess I'm not the rock anymore, huh? Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? <clears throat> Isn't it great? Because Peter then gets to say the truth. Before he said a lie. I don't know him. That's a lie. This time he gets to say the truth. Lord, you know, I love you. I love you. Okay, feed my sheep. Really? You still want me to feed your sheep? Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yeah. Yeah, Lord. <laughs> I do. I love you. All right, tend my lambs. Great. Cool. Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Feed my sheep. That's the inscription on this other icon. It's another little charcoal fire. It matches the one over on the left, little charcoal fire. Peter and Jesus, just like they were over here, except this time the inscription says, you know all things. You know that I love you. Here's a little bit of biblical insiderness. Last night, Father Mark talked about those words for love in, in Greek, that there's, there's four different ones. I'm sure you all took notes and paid attention. I see people taking notes. You got it. It's flipped back a couple pages. Last night from Father Mark, different words for love. So when, when Jesus asked Peter three times, do you love me? When he says it the first time, he uses that highest form of love, agape, that self-sacrificing love. Peter, do you agape me? 
And Peter says, when he says, I love you, he says, I love you. But in the Greek, it says, I, I love you with this philos love, this brotherly kind of love. Now, that's, that's interesting because normally Peter is the one who overdoes it. You know, if, if Jesus had said, Peter, do you love me with a philos kind of love? Peter would have normally responded back, no, not only do I love you with a philos love, I, I agape you. I, I, I triple agape you. This time, Peter seems to have learned his lesson because he's like, he's almost saying like, no, Lord, I, I don't agape you. I want to, but I blew it. Clearly, I don't. I said I would die for you. I said I would agape you, but obviously I don't. Peter seems to have learned his lesson a little bit. He says, no, I, I, I feel us, I feel oh, you. Jesus says again, no, do you agape me? Yeah, yeah, Lord, I mean, I, I feel us, love you. And finally, the, the third time, Jesus comes down to Peter's level, as it were, and says, okay, Peter, do you, do you then love me with this philos love? He changes the word. He comes down a, a, a level, if you will, to Peter. And Peter says, yes, Lord, you know all things. You know that I, I fill up you. Notice that Peter has learned that he doesn't have to put away his imperfections. He doesn't have to appear to be stronger than he is. What is true is that he wants to agape Jesus, but he knows every time he's tried to do that, he's failed. He is imperfect. And this time he admits his imperfection and says, Lord, I, I love you, but my love is not perfect yet. I wish it were. I really wish it were, but it's just not there. But here's the end of the, here's the, end of the story. Jesus then says to Peter, you know, when you were younger, you know, you used to dress yourself and go where you wanted. But when you are older, another person will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go. And the scripture says that this was signifying the kind of death by which Peter would glorify God. And of course, in the end, in the end, Peter really does agape Jesus. He does lay down his life. And in, in one final kind of act of impetuousness. He's like, I don't deserve to be crucified the same way as Jesus. Crucify me upside down. Okay, that's a nice little touch of Peter on the end there. But in the end, he actually does what he said he would do. Lord, I will lay down my life for you. I want to agape you. And he does. But it, it took a whole life of imperfection, terrible struggle, weeping and crying for sin over and over. And eventually, because he didn't give up like Judas did, Peter was purified. And he learned to agape God and lay down his life. That didn't happen all at once. And brothers and sisters, that's, that's where you and I are, are at. Stuck in imperfection, for sure. We're imperfect, our parents are imperfect, our kids are imperfect, our priests are imperfect, bishops, popes, the church, it's, it's all a mess, it's all imperfect, and it's all allowed by God, who foresaw all of it, knew it would happen, he knew at the first moment he called Peter, and Peter said, get away from me, it's like, no, Peter, 
From now on, you're going to be catching men. You'll be a fisher of men. Jesus saw the whole thing. He knew all the ups and downs. He knew the way Peter would end up, and he knew that in the end, he would have that agape love. So what do we do with our imperfections? Well, here's where I might put in my little plug for the sacrament of penance. You know, what, what Peter got to do over here in this third icon on the, the seashore, he got to be face to face with Jesus and got to tell him three times, I love you, and hear Jesus say to him three times, feed my sheep, tend my lambs, tend my sheep. In other words, Peter is getting a chance to be with Jesus and he gets to hear with his own ears that he's forgiven. The, the other thing about this icon is that Jesus is holding a little shepherd's staff and he's handing it over to, to Peter. This is emblematic of the feed my sheep line, but it's also the, the crozier that a bishop carries. It's a shepherd's staff. It's a little rod with a crook on the top. It's called a crozier. And a bishop carries it to show that he is a shepherd. Jesus is looking at this rock who just denied that he knows him. You can imagine what Peter would have been thinking. I mean, it's nice that Jesus is back and it's nice that I'm forgiven, but obviously I'm too imperfect to be of much good to him. Obviously, Jesus, you need to get a new rock. You got you to get a new head of your church because I blew it. And Peter might have been humble enough to think that at that point based on the, the Greek thing. But it's like Jesus is saying to Peter, no, I, I know you're imperfect, but I still need you to be the rock. I didn't choose you to be the rock because you're perfect. I didn't make you father of my church because you're just the best guy out there. You're going to be the rock because I chose you to be the rock and I said you're the rock and that's why you're the rock. So take your little shepherd staff and you still got to go be the rock, Peter. And he did. Imperfectly. Fits and starts. But in the end, Peter did it right. Peter was the rock on which the, the church is built to this day. And notice it's not built upon someone who was perfect. Peter's the rock almost because he refuses to be broken completely. He keeps going. Now imagine if Peter never had that encounter. Imagine if the last time he saw Jesus was, I don't know him, and then he, he heard about Jesus raised from the dead. Maybe he saw him teaching someplace else, but Peter was too embarrassed and he just kind of hung back and like, I, I can't be the rock anymore. I can't even talk. How can I even look at Jesus? The last time I said, I don't know him, I swore I didn't know him. He don't want to talk to me. What if Peter never got that moment on the seashore? What if he never got to talk to Jesus and say, I'm sorry, and hear Jesus talk back to him and say, Peter, I forgive you. I know you love me. Go be the Pope. Go be the, go be the rock. What if he never got that? Well, I would think every time Peter tried to stir up his courage or tried to lead anything, maybe just like, okay, I'm just going to gonna talk about Jesus to this little group of people, he'd be thinking in his mind, Satan would be beating him up saying, who are you to be talking about Jesus? You can't be the rock. You couldn't even admit that you knew him. Where were you when Jesus needed you? We, can, we know what Satan does. Isn't that what he does to us? Brings up our sins, brings up our past sin. Who are you to be all thinking you're holy? You go to mass every day? <laughs> yeah, that's because the people there don't know who you really are. Satan's telling you that a lie. I know who you really are. 
And I know what God thinks of you. He thinks your imperfections are just too much. You're just putting on a show. I see who you really are. That's Satan. And that's what Satan would have done to Peter, I think, except Peter got to be face to face with Jesus. So anytime Satan was going to beat up Peter in the future, Peter could be like, no, I heard with my own ears from Jesus, feed my sheep. You're forgiven. Get back up. Think of the, the confidence that Peter would have. Satan couldn't get in because he had that encounter on the seashore with Jesus. The sacrament of penance is that living encounter with Jesus on the seashore for each of us. Jesus did not leave us to just think in our head, gosh, I really, I really sinned, I really messed up. And then maybe we go and we cry and we weep. That's good. We should have contrition. We should tell God we're sorry. No doubt when Peter is crying his eyes out, he would have been like, I'm sorry, I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that. Maybe he would cry out, Jesus, forgive me. He might have even thought that, you know, since Jesus is God, he could hear him. But what if he didn't get the face-to-face -face moment? See, Jesus knew that Peter needed that. He needed to be face-to-face, -to, -face, to three times be able to say, I love you, for the three times that he said, I don't know him. We need that too. In our imperfections, we need to come before the loving voice of Jesus, encounter him the same way Peter did, and have Jesus tell us, I absolve you. Go in peace, your sins are forgiven. Get up. Because <laughs> the worst thing we could do would be to sin and then just stay down. Weeping is good. Good. Go out. Weep bitterly. Have, have contrition. Have penance. But then you got to get called again. you got to get missioned and sent. you got to come face to face with Jesus so you can hear his voice. That's what the priest is. In the sacrament of penance, it's not Father Sean. It's not Father Mark. It's not Father Michael. That's Jesus taking us and saying, I want my people to hear my voice. Not think in their head, I hope God forgives me. Did he? I don't know. No. Jesus wants you face to face so he can look in your eyes, or at least you can hear his voice behind the screen, and hear him tell you, I absolve you. Go feed my sheep. Still be the rock. Imperfect as you are, go be the rock of your family. Go be the rock of your parish. Go be the rock in society, at your job, your workplace. You've got to go. You've got a mission, and you can't stay down here wallowing in your sin. I want you to know you are forgiven. I don't choose you because you're perfect. I choose you because you're imperfect, and I can work with that. So let's not be afraid, then, to go to the sacrament of penance, to come face to face with, as Peter found out, Lord, you, you know all things. You already know. Why are you asking me three times, do I love you? You know I love you. You know my sins. You know what I said. You know what I did. You know where I was on Good Friday and certainly where I wasn't. You know everything. You already know. It's the same way the sacrament of penance. You come in and the priest is just there in persona Christi, we say, in the person of Christ. Jesus already knows. But he wants you to hear it the way Peter did. Get up. You're forgiven. I know you're imperfect, and I love you anyway. Your imperfection attracts my love and mercy. What a beautiful gift, then, that sacrament of 
penance is. I love hearing confessions because every time I send somebody out afterwards having that encounter, I know that we just, we just got one back from Satan. Satan's got no claim on that soul. You gotta go out and sin all over the place still after you leave confession. I mean, you're not, you're not made perfect after that. But if you know what you get in confession, you're gonna go out and change the world the way, the way Peter did. I'll leave you with this last thought. Peter had this just over-the-top excitability. I'm gonna, I'm gonna swear that I, you gotta get away from me. Uh, you're not gonna wash me. Okay, then wash all of me. Like, I'll never deny you. I'll, di I'll, I'll die for you. Oh, I, I don't even know him. I mean, it's just all over the place and jumps in the ocean on, you know, uh, the Sea of Galilee on Easter Sunday morning. We might be tempted to say, wouldn't it have been better if Peter were more like St. Joseph? You know, if he, if he just was quiet, just, you know, St. Joseph, we don't even have any words of his in the scripture. You know, I, I've seen a, a little meme on the internet. Um, open quote, blank space, end quote, dash, St. Joseph. I mean, that, that's the totality of what St. Joseph spoke in the scripture. Nothing. We might be tempted to think, Peter could learn a few things from St. Joseph. Peter, if you just shut up, listen, and just do what you're told, it'd be a lot better. No. Okay, we might think that, but St. Joseph and St. Peter are different people. Jesus did not choose St. Joseph to be the first father of his church. He was, he was a good caretaker of Jesus, Mary, and Joseph. But Jesus decided he needed someone like Peter who was willing to go. And when Peter goes, he's going. He's going all out. We might say, whoa, hey, caution. Hold on now. There's only 12 of you at the beginning. Don't go out and get yourself killed. Don't go do crazy stuff now. There's just 12 of you. Let's be cautious. Jesus did not want his church to be cautious. He wanted them to be bold. There was a time for caretaking. The, the, the 30 hidden years of Jesus' life, he needed to be cared for. Raised as a little child. We don't know what he did as a little child. Joseph cared for him. But in the age of the church, it's not time for circling the wagons and kind of being cautious and taking care of the faith because, oh, we're going to lose it. No, the little you have will be taken away, Jesus says. We have to be bold and go out. And that's where Peter is the beautiful example. Don't be afraid to go boldly with where God thinks he wants you to go and maybe you're going to get it wrong. Don't be afraid to get it wrong. Don't be afraid that I'm too imperfect to go out and be bold with the gospel. It's not you going out. It's the gospel. It's Jesus. And, I mean, little flashback, he did it perfect and they killed him. So you're not going to do worse than that. Okay? So be, be courageous. Go out. In today's reading from uh, the prayers that the, the priests pray at the hours, there's a homily from St. Augustine. And it's got one of my favorite lines in there. He says, The soul is not moved by the feet, but rather by the passions, by the emotions. Your feet can carry your physical body, but to move the soul, you need passion, you need emotion, you need what Peter had. So, you're imperfect. You've got passions, you've got emotions, you've got desires that sometimes they get us in trouble. We, we're like Peter, 
we, we jump when we should stay and we stay when we should go. Sure, all that. We're imperfect. We're not going to do it right all the time. But I think God is saying, if, if you're willing to love me with your whole heart, I love you, Lord. I love you. You know all things. You know that I love you. If we're willing to do that and plow ahead, God can work with that. He's not waiting for you to be perfect. There is a time to be like St. Joseph, to hear gently the word of God and say, yes, Lord. And there's a time to say, okay, I don't have the whole picture, but I'm, I'm ready to go. And I think this is what God wants. And so I'm going. Where are you right now in this journey in your relationship with God? Are you quietly just doing what God wants, like St. Joseph? Are you maybe long time since you've been to confession? Because eh, I don't I don't even know what to say. Why do I go why do I need to confess my sins to a priest? And like go and go face to face with Jesus. Just tell him. Lord, you know all the Tell the priest that. You can just go in and tell the priest. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. I just want to say, Jesus, I love you, and here's, here's where I'm broken. Good. There's a good confession. Start with that. Maybe you're a regular. Maybe you get to confession. Maybe you go to Mass. Okay. Satan's going to come after you the way he came after Peter. Brokenness. Emptiness. Allow yourself in your humanity just the way you are. Imperfectness, all of it, to be used by God and he will send you on an incredible mission not when you're perfect but through your mission through saying yes to God you will become perfect until then fatherhood parenthood discipleship less than perfect Let us conclude as we have been the last two nights with our litany of St. Joseph, asking that these qualities in him that we see, we would aspire also and know that Joseph will pray for us to help us to be fully alive, the people that God has called us to be, even in our imperfection. Lord, have mercy on us. Lord, have mercy on us. Christ, hear us. God, the Father of heaven. God, the Son, Redeemer of the world. God, the Holy Spirit. Holy Trinity, one God. Holy Mary. Saint Joseph. Renowned offspring of David. Light of patriarchs. Spouse of the Mother of God. Chaste guardian of the Virgin. Foster Father of the Son of God, diligent protector of Christ, head of the Holy Family, Joseph most just, Joseph most chaste, Joseph most prudent, Joseph most strong, Joseph most obedient, Joseph most faithful, mirror of patience, lover of poverty, model of artisans, Glory of home life, guardian of virgins, pillar of families, solace of the wretched, 
hope of the sick, patron of the dying, pray for us, terror of demons, pray for us, protector of the holy church, pray for us, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, spare us, O Lord, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, graciously hear us, O Lord, Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, have mercy on us. He made him the Lord of his household and prince over all his possessions. Let us pray. O God, in your ineffable providence, you were pleased to choose blessed Joseph to be the spouse of your most holy mother. Grant, we beg you, that we may be worthy to have him for our intercessor in heaven, whom on earth we venerate as our protector, you who live and reign forever and ever. Thank you for your participation in the mission over these last three days. Uh, the, the videos that we've done live are, of course, out there on Facebook to share around, so uh, feel free to, to do that. Uh, and we are in the last, the last home stretch before Easter, so let's get to confession if you need to. We still have confession times Monday night. We're having our penance service here, kind of. Uh, and then, of course, Tuesday and Wednesday. Uh, we also will have extra confession times at 5.30 on those days, so feel free to come to confession. Um, over these next days. Of course, Saturday coming up, we, we still have our regular 3.30 confessions. So plenty of time to get confession so that we can celebrate the beautiful three days, the Triduum, with clean hearts and uh, without the fear of Satan uh, getting in our imperfections. The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace. Thanks be to God. Joseph, my